Okay, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us, I want to declare over you the love of God this morning. Hallelujah. But that's not enough. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. Hallelujah. We, we, it's not enough that God love, loves us. God so loved the world. He loves every single one. He's drawing every single one, but it is not enough to keep people out of hell. It's not enough to keep people, to keep people from, uh, from experiencing their, their, their destiny. They need more than the love of God. They need to respond to the love of God. And washed washed us from our sins in his own blood. But it doesn't stop there. And made us kings. He's taken you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's taken you. And he's taken you from where you are. And he's made you a king. Little K... Little K, we're not the king. What did Peter and John say? Don't worship us. Don't bow down to us. We're men just like you. That's the problem. Too many, too many leaders and preachers today setting up their own kingdoms and then their heart receiving worship. As if we had any power. But it doesn't stop there. And this is what I want to talk about. See, king, kingship has to do with authority. He's given you authority in the, in the kingdom, in this world. Okay? So right now in the earth, there is a clashing of authority. And I want to tell you that Ukraine is not the only war that's happening in the earth. There are over 20 wars currently happening in the earth. Do you know why you hear about Ukraine? Because it, it matters to the United States. And it involves a superpower, Russia. And let me just pause here a moment and say that I am incredibly honored and proud to stand with the Ukrainians. And I am... I just, some of the stories that I am reading is just making me just want to go to Ukraine and say, give me, give me an MK-47. Maybe I shouldn't say that, I don't know. Putin has the spirit of Antichrist on him. He's a dictator. He's, he's committed genocide in his own people. And now, because of his greed, he's slaughtering Ukrainians. But the Ukrainians were more than what he thought. And they're putting up a fight. 
And our own president called Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, and said, hey, I'll get you out of there. I'll get you a ride. And he, he told President Biden, the fight is here. I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. And when he said that, something rose up in me because uh, uh, President Zelensky is a Jew. And I remembered another Jew in a valley that looked at all of his all of his brothers and all of his warriors who were up afraid on the, on the, on the uh, rim of the valley, listening to Goliath, and he's saying, why don't you go down there and fight? And I felt that same spirit in President Zelensky, and I said, this is, this is a man worth following. I don't know anything about his spiritual life. I know that the the church in Ukraine is, is the strongest church in that entire region of all the nations. And right now they are standing. In fact, let's just take a moment and let's pray over Ukraine. Uh, I don't have the sheet that you gave me, brother, but we're praying for a family that Curtis has connection with that is in Ukraine. In fact, the, the mother and the, and the grandmother are on their own, just out in the country, wandering to get away from the war. And there's a lot of uh, anxiousness over that. We, th this is real people going through real situations right now. And so, Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, you said my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. God, we lift up Ukraine right now in Jesus' name. We pray, oh God, that your hand would be over Ukraine in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will hold up the nation of Ukraine. I pray that they will stand and see their Goliath, Russia, defeated in the name of Jesus. I pray that Putin will be humiliated in the name of Jesus. I ask, Father, that the church of Jesus in the Ukraine will rise. Hallelujah. I pray that you will uh, cause them to stand in power. Oh God, that they would not be afraid even in this dark hour, but they would stand in Jesus' name. God, as they spiritually fight, and the, and the, and the warriors, they, they physically fight, but the church spiritually fights. We pray that totalitarianism will come down in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I, I pray that Russians, God, all over Russia will rise up against dictatorship in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that, that they will cry out to you for deliverance and freedom. I pray, oh God, that the church of Russia, Lord, a true church of Russia, Lord, that, that Pastor Gary's been to many times, God, that I've been to one time, God, that the church of Russia will stand in Jesus' name. God, I pray revival break out in Ukraine. I pray revival break out in Russia. I ask in the name of Jesus that your will would happen, oh God, in the name of the Lord. And God, where there is turmoil in families, God, where there's difficulty, this one family, God, God that Curtis knows, we agree together, God, for their safety in Jesus' name and that your hand will be upon them in the name of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We give you glory, God. We give you glory. God, we're looking for an international miracle to take place that every eye shall see. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people shouted, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
He's given us authority, church. He's given you authority to call things that are not as though they are. To bind, to loose, he's given you authority to pray. That's another message. I'm not, I'm going to just... I'm just going to throw that out and I'm going to move by it because I want to get to this. He's made us priests. Kings and priests. Priests. And priesthood is your role of standing between God and men. Okay, in the Old Testament, the priest was the one that made the sacrifice on your behalf because you could not make it. And so you brought your sacrifice, an unblemished lamb, or in different cases, different things that, that were acceptable. You could not offer them on your own. God would not receive them. You needed a go-between. You needed somebody that had been consecrated and separated for that work of standing between God and men. And so you would bring your sacrifice to that in-between person so that then they would sacrifice it for you and it would be acceptable to God. And it would be an atonement for your sin. You needed a go-between. Now how many of you know that in the New Testament, the go-between is Jesus? He's the great high priest, hallelujah. Not only was he the high priest, he was also the sacrificial lamb. And so he, he as the high priest, brought the blood that he shed as a lamb into the presence of the Father that became an acceptable sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. Hallelujah. And so how am I going to get free from my sin? How am I going to find forgiveness? I'm going to find forgiveness because I'm going to the go-between, which is no longer a person. It's Jesus, hallelujah, who is the high priest and is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and he's the one that you go to. Somebody give God praise this morning. Hallelujah. Because you needed it, and I need it, and everybody needs it. The whole world needs it. You need the go-between, the high priest. So what does this mean? He's called us. This is New Testament. This is John. This is John the Beloved, the one that, that uh, was one of the 12. He's not talking Old Testament. He's not wanting us to become Old Testament priests. He's talking, this is the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, the covenant of, of grace. We already have a go-between. Why would we need priests in the New Testament? Because God still needs go-betweens. Not for salvation, 
not for people to find forgiveness. There's nobody here that needs to come and confess to me in order for me to absolve you from your sins. Only Jesus can do that. But God still needs go-betweens. And the go-between that he's looking for is not found in a confession booth. It is found in the prayer closet. It is found in the prayer closet. The prayer closet. And, and I want to declare this again over this house. Every chance I get, you're a part of it. Every chance I get, God has an assignment for this church now, it's an assignment that he has for other churches, but it is a specific calling on this house to stand in the place of prayer, to be the go-between that God is looking for, okay? Set apart, consecrated to God, to go between those that don't know him and, and God, well, how, do, how does that work? How does that work? Young people, you got friends. You got friends at school. You know what they need? They're not serving Jesus. They need a go-between. Okay? You, you that work, you have workmates all around you, many of whom do not know Jesus. Do you know what they need? They need a go-between. They need somebody that's going to introduce them to Jesus. Now, that involves a lot of different things, but I want to tell you, it begins in the place of prayer. So those people that are in your life that do not know Jesus, that make you crazy by the way they talk, by the things that they laugh at, that, that uh, the way that they even perhaps uh, treat you because you're a Christian, God has placed them in your life so that you can do the work of a priest. And so oftentimes we say, I don't like you in my life. And we do everything we can to minimize them in our lives. But God has called you to be a priest. The, the Old Testament word, the, the, the Hebrew word for intercession is the word pagah. Pagah means to pray. The word pagah means to create a meeting, right? So when you pray, when you pray, look at your neighbor and say, when you pray, you are creating a meeting between God and the one you're praying for. That's pretty phenomenal. That's why the enemy wants your prayer life to only be consumed with you and what you need. He wants your prayer life basically to be your selfish moment with God. Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, and I need this, and I need it by the time I come home from work. And he wants your prayer life to be minimized to self. Now, 
you know that God wants you to bring your requests before the throne of grace so that you can find help in your time of need. So it is not wrong for you to pray for your needs. In fact, it's encouraged by God. But God wants you as a priest to think about more than you. And he wants you to then step into your role as a priest to begin to pray for the people around you, to begin to intercede and pray for the people that are in your world. Because if you do that, it will release God to work in their life. And that's the power of intercession. That's the power of being a priest. And as a teenager, I got a hold of this and I thought, you know what? I can change nations from my prayer closet. And I prayed as if I was really changing nations from my prayer closet. I prayed before the Lord that God would would send revival. I, I remember specifically that I had a burden for China in those days and, and, and Afghanistan. Those were two nations as a teenager that I would pray for. And I would ask God to give me names of people to pray for. And sometimes names of people would come into my heart and I would pray for them and intercede for them, not even knowing really who they were. But I was changing nations from my prayer closet, creating a meeting between God and people groups all over the world. What are you doing? You're taking your place as a priest. This is why... The enemy wants you to think that prayer is boring. This is why the enemy keeps, I'm going to close my eyes right now so I'm not looking at anybody. This is why the enemy keeps you away from the Wednesday night prayer meeting. We call prayer meetings and the, across the church. The potlucks are full. The social gatherings are full. But what about the prayer meeting? I want to tell you American church, I'm preaching to the American church right now. When the American church craves and desires the prayer closet, we'll see revival in the nations. There'll be a rising when men of God are not satisfied just having the appearance of goodness as they're in the church or taking a place of stature in their communities by coming to church, but they actually utilize the prayer closet. Then we'll see revival in a nation. Then we'll see awakening in a people group. What is it? John was not distraught that he was cast to the island of Patmos. There he is in prison. He's by himself. He can't do anything. So they thought. But he declared, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was by himself. He 
had no he had nobody to preach to him. He had nobody to play the music. He had nobody to get them motivated to, to draw near to the presence of the Lord. But he said, I'm going to take my place as a priest. And I'm going to stand before the Lord. And from this island of Patmos, I'm going to change nations. And the Holy Spirit met him. <laughs> we need a consecration. Let's go to Exodus chapter 29. I want to tell you what happened. I want to tell you what happened. I may or may not play. After church on Sunday last week, we went to a man named Pip's house. He's an Englishman in his 70s. Seven years before I was in their church and I led worship in their church and Pip was playing the guitar. And now Pip's body is full of cancer. His hands swelled. We came in believing for a miracle. But when we came in, he said, I know you're believing for a miracle, but I'm ready to meet Jesus. He said, I want to go home. So shifted our prayer a little bit. And I said, Pip, do you remember me? And he said, pull down your mask. And he said, no, I don't remember you at all. <laughs> yeah, it's the beard. And Pip, he said, you, you play an instrument? I said, yeah, I play the keyboard. He said, do you play the guitar? And I said, well, I can play a few chords. He said, I'd like to give you my guitar. I'd like to give you my guitar. Will you receive it? He said, I have no, nobody to give it to that will use it for the glory of God. And I said, Pip, I'll receive your guitar under two conditions. One, that you let me worship on it with you. And two, that you pray over it. And so I took his guitar and 
tuned it as best as I could, which wasn't very good. And I began to play Amazing Grace. And we begin to sing, and the presence of the Holy Spirit filled the room. And he began to weep. And he began to worship with me. His body riddled with cancer, worshiping with me. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And then perhaps for the last time on this side of eternity, he began to sing when we've been there 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. We begin to finish and he was starting to dry his eyes. And I said, Pip, and I laid the guitar in his lap. And I said, will you anoint this guitar with your tears? And of course, that brought on a whole nother flood of tears. And he began to take his hands and wipe them on his eyes and smear them all over the face of this guitar. And then he prayed over this guitar. And he consecrated this instrument to the Lord. And he said, God, I've, I've done my best to worship you on this guitar for a long time. And he said, I'm not going to worship on it anymore. But I consecrate it to you for your glory. And then he placed this instrument in my hands. And he didn't, he didn't bind me to keep it. But he bound me to make sure it stayed in the use of the master. And I took it home on the plane. I made sure that American does not break guitars. Those of you that remember United Breaks Guitars, you'll remember that song. You want me to play it? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. It is not in tune. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'll play it. I will play it uh, at a time when, when it's in tune. I can't even sing it anymore. Um, the presence of Jesus is here. I want you to see in Exodus 29. And this is what you shall do to them to hollow them, to minister to me, 
as priests. I want to tell you that the work, the assignment of the priesthood that all believers are to enter into is a hallowed assignment. It's important. God has chosen you to fulfill a part of this assignment that I can never fill. I do not know the lost people in your world. I cannot fulfill that part of the assignment. It's a hollowed assignment for you. For you. Take a bull, rams without blemish. They consecrated them. Put them in a basket, verse 4. Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall wash them with water. Well, what does Jesus say in Ephesians 5 that he does to the church that, that, uh, that compares to, to men loving their wives, that he washes the church with the water of the word? Hallelujah. Wash. Then you shall take the garments, the tunic on Aaron, the robe of the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate, gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, put the turban on his head, put the holy crown on the turban. And so here is the clothing of the priesthood. Do you know you have clothing that, that is to assist you in your intercession? Read Ephesians chapter 6. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth, the shoes shod with the feet of readiness, the, the uh, helmet of salvation, and I'm missing one. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. Do you know that, uh, that here's other clothing that he is clothing his church in garments of white that she should not have spot or wrinkle. And it's to beautify and honor you. Hallelujah. This is the clothing of the priesthood. We carry spiritual clothing around us, with us everywhere we go. We are marked in the spirit. You are marked as a priest in the kingdom of God. And then you shall take the anointing oil. And you shall pour it on his head. It wasn't a little dab like we do. They took the whole bottle. And they anointed the priest. Consecrated to the work. Do you know when you're consecrated to the work what it means? It means that there are things that you can no longer engage in. I cannot talk like that anymore. I'm consecrated to the Lord. I cannot participate in that party anymore. I'm consecrated to the Lord. A pastor recommended a movie to me the other day. I started to watch it. 
I had to turn it off. Because my eyes are consecrated to the Lord. There are things we ought not watch or do or see because I'm a priest in the kingdom. John recognized this. We're called. We're called to be effective. People wonder, what is my calling? What should I be doing? This is what you should be doing. Taking your place as a priest. There's a consecration that needs to happen in your life. A setting apart. A setting apart for the work that God has called you to so that you can be effective in it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Just like this guitar is set apart for the work of the Lord. You have been called to be set apart for the assignment of prayer. Hallelujah.